Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read from, actually I'm going to read, although Jody doesn't have it, I'll read the first two verses as well, and then it will be on the screen and in your bulletins from verse 3 to 11. And um, I'm going to ask you to stretch your legs for one last time as we stand together, as we hear the Word of God, after which I will pray and you may be seated. 2 Peter chapter 1, reading from verse 1 through to 11. Simon Peter, a servant an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. It is the certainty that we seek. It is the foundation upon which to build our lives. And so now, as we turn to it, we ask that you would give us that which you desire, that we would hear your voice, your word, that your spirit would move freely in our hearts and in our minds, that we may not only be hearers of your word, but that we may be obedient to that which it calls us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There are various viewpoints that inform Christians today concerning the purpose of our Christian faith. Uh, Two prevalent ones, two ones that come to mind, is one that is rooted in my upbringing, Uh, one that made the primary purpose, the sole purpose, perhaps some would say the only purpose of our Christian faith as making it to heaven. Uh, This was essentially about uh, gaining access to eternal life. The good news is that this is certainly a promise of Scripture and a promise that Jesus makes. He says, "For don't be too stressed and worried, for where I'm going, I'm going there's enough rooms for everybody. There is certainly a lot of joy that comes to my own heart and mind when I consider that a part of the purpose of our Christian faith or part of the destiny of our Christian faith is to secure for us 
an eternal life in the presence of God. I have those in my life who have gone before me, and so I look forward to that. But you know, Jesus had a lot to say about the present life. In fact, if you were to study the Gospels closely, you will find that he says a lot more about this life than the life to come. He seems to be concerned about how eternal life um, breaks into present life. In fact, he changes the category of eternal life to be not only about a destination, but an abundant life uh, that is lived in the present. And so perhaps a part of my suggestion to you this morning is that to ask yourself, what is the purpose of your Christian faith, my Christian faith, if it is primarily about a destination, we may be tempted to not consider the implications of following Jesus in the present. And then there's another prevalent one, one that has been popularized by prominent, prominent media uh, prophets and preachers. Uh, they define our Christian faith about making our lives better. Uh, I think to be fair to those, uh, you know, they grasp that Jesus has more in mind than just saving us to a destination, and they consider that it's important that there be implications for our faith today. But these teachers and preachers often co-opt the more to mean that Jesus wants to make me happy by making me successful and by making me healthy and preferably wealthy. You know, the Jesus in the Gospels is very hard to listen to at times if you are willing to listen to him on his terms. He seems to not be too primarily concerned with our comforts. And he doesn't seem to necessarily be concerned too much that we are happy, although I want to be and I'm sure you do. It seems that the Jesus in Scriptures invites us into a following that he says, now be careful before you say yes to following me, because following me is harder than you may think it is. You know, you think you have problems before you follow me? Wait till you start following me. You'll have a different set of problems. You'll start to be concerned perhaps about things that right now it's okay not to be concerned with as long as something else is Lord of your life. But... The moment you start to follow me, I challenge your values and I reorient your life. And in fact, I demand so much of you that I actually ask that you completely surrender yourself to me. And so I say this to you this morning because I feel that I am tempted to embrace one or two of these primary purposes and to live by them. And I think they have disastrous consequences for us. For example, if we're just mindful of making it in, we, we really miss out on the joy and the challenge and the work that is involved in living intentionally in response to God in the present. We miss out on what it means to work out our salvation as the scripture teaches us. And we do not grow, we do not mature, perhaps we are just content to be Christian by name. The, the second perspective about making our lives better, you know, this quickly gets old for those of us who realize that 
being a Christian does not ensure that I'll be happy or successful or healthy and wealthy. In fact, we recognize very quickly that some of us can be incredibly disappointed when, for whatever reason, life does not give us what we believe we deserve. Let me suggest to you this morning a third alternative from the Scripture that we are created, that the purpose of our Christian faith is to be a people belonging to God who are in a transforming relationship with Him for His purpose and for His glory. A relationship that begins with faith in Christ and ends in a transformed life of love. One that is marked by God's work and His gift to us and our response to Him. A God-honoring relationship that leads us to return to our Creator by which we are saved and offered eternal life, yes, but not just an eternal life that means nothing to the present circumstance and the way in which I live today. The challenge is whether such transformation is possible, whether such a relationship is possible. Our scripture this morning, I think, The reason I chose it is because, to be honest with you, though I've read the Bible, you remember some things, but you don't remember other things, you know? And I was going through my devotional guide. I have this devotional guide that follows the church here, and one of the scripture references earlier on the week was this particular scripture. And when I read it, I was actually startled to to, to find what I saw here. And and this is what grabbed my attention. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. To the question, is it possible to be the Christian that God wants me to, to be and to live into the purposes of God? This scripture will tell us that God has not left anything undone in order for us to be what He wants us to be. Now, why is this essential? I think it's essential because there is this growing sense in my own spiritual life that the reason that I'm not quite what God wants me to be is because I just don't have enough. I don't have enough understanding. I don't have enough self-discipline. I don't have enough good experience. I don't have enough good teaching. I don't have good enough, or I am just not good enough. Here's what the Bible tells us through 2 Peter today. Our ability to live a godly life and fulfill the purpose that God has called us to fulfill is possible because by His grace in Christ, He has given us everything we need to be godly. Do you believe it? I'll tell you why we don't believe it. I think part of the reason we don't believe it is this little word called sin. Yeah? You know, know, if nothing stands in the way of my godliness than my personal failure or my personal sin. And so when we begin with our lives and we kind of look towards God from the experience of our life, we we tend to say, you know what, Stu, I want to live a godly life. I, I want to live for God. I want to mature. I want to grow. I want to add to my faith. But there's this, this issue that has told me that that's just not possible because when I look at my life, I see my weakness. I see my inefficiencies. I see my, my, my temptations. I see how weak I am. But here's what Peter does for us today. He reminds us 
that our ability to live the godly life is not generated from our strength or from our power. You may look at me and say, you know what, Stu? You look like a pastor, preacher, Nazarene pastor. You know, you're a good Wesleyan thinker. I hope you say that. Uh, you know, uh, you, you may say, you know what, Stu, you just look the part of pastor, and so perhaps for you, pastor-like godly things comes easy, but not for me. You know, if you want to know who I am, truly am, you can ask my children. <laughs> if you really want to know who I am, ask my wife. I'm not encouraging that, not today. <laughs> but here's the point I'm trying to make. You know, when we, when we begin with a person as a point of reference for the godly life, when we begin with our abilities or how hard we can do things or how disciplined we are, we miss what the scripture is making a point of. It is saying this, that it is because of Christ, the gift to us. It is because of what God has already given those who've professed him as Lord and Savior that we are in fact able to live godly, honoring lives. He has given us according to the scripture. Divine power has been given to us in the person of Jesus. We do not lack anything because of who Jesus is. I, I want you to catch this because the theology can get pretty intricate and above me. I'm, I'm always punching above my weight class in, in matters like this. But, but, but let me try to break it down and simplify it for someone like me who needs simple language to understand this. I think what Peter is saying, the divine power that is given to you has been given to you not in a set of propositions or truth, but in a person. He's saying that Jesus becomes the very person that enables you to live the godly life. Therefore, look to him, believe in him. By his merits, by his goodness, by his grace, you are saved, not because of yourself, it is when God looks at Jesus and we stand in faith in him that he says, you are my holy people set apart unto my purposes. It is this Jesus that we worship week after week for he is the one that enables us not only to be saved, but to live a godly honoring life. You know the song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus is a song that holds profound theological truth. For I think that many of us look to others for the example of the godly life, when in effect we are given not only an example, but a person who by his very grace gives us his spirit and says, now live as I have called you to live. I'm going to make a very Wesleyan statement to you that might be shocking. Do you know that we believe that we're all human? Yes. That we're all sinners? Yes. But that by the provision of Jesus Christ and the gift of his Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us this, that we are, we are able to live free from the dominion of sin that we are able to choose righteousness and holiness, that we are able to say no to the temptations of the world. Now, I want you to hear how uniquely different this interpretation is because there's this view of Christianity that goes something like this. We're all just sinners and we're messed up and mucked up and so, we, you know, we just 
cry out to God for mercy. And then we continue in our misery and our, and our, and our suffering. But the hope of Jesus Christ for the church is far more than that. God through Christ invites us into a life in which we live into that which Jesus has made possible. Godliness is possible. Holiness is possible. Five amens. It's okay. That means amongst us there's five who are sanctified. That means I still have work to do. The emphasis on everything we need. Can I just labor there for a moment? You know, we are a church gathered comprising different personalities and people. I am very cognizant as a pastor of how incredibly blessed we are to have such incredibly gifted people like you. I think that when I look at our church, I see great potential, but I also recognize that we have incredible needs. We have needs uh, which are financial. We have needs which are organizational. We have needs within this community. In fact, in this economic downturn, I am aware that many face financial needs. Uh, this past week, I was just responding and helping and, 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 and helping and encouraging somebody who was going through an incredible time of need. I'm not suggesting to you that God's provision automatically means that we don't have things that are shortcomings, and Peter is not making that need about the material. What Peter is making a point of is which we need to grasp right now, that if this God through Christ is less concerned about our comfort and giving us what we need and the next new thing and the next thing that we desire, and his desire is to form for himself a people that lives into his purpose, then what Peter is saying, if that is what you truly need, God has given you all the resources necessary to be the person he's called you to be. No excuses. No, no, no distancing ourselves from other people who look more sanctified than us. No words that say things like this. You know, that, that, that's okay for them, but you know, I'm just me. Or, you know, I, I'm not that serious about things, you know, so it's not me. Here's what Peter says. He says, For all who have been made righteous, not by our own account, but by the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, He has given us everything. You know, I'm making the same point for the last 10 minutes, right? Everything we need to live this life. Now, another Wesleyan thought, oh, you know, John Wesley, well, you know, don't leave here saying he's an idol of mine, but if you're going to idolize somebody, idolize somebody good, you know, and, and he's okay. John Wesley would teach us that, that though God's grace is sufficient and he saves us by his own merit and his work, that we as Christians respond to such grace. And that's what Peter says. He says, if God has given you everything you need, he hasn't given you in such a way that you don't absolutely have to do nothing. We all know what happens with kids who get everything they need without any responsibility, right? 
We, we all know what happens to our own lives when there's no sense of personal value in that which is given to us. And I believe more and more that we as Christians are called to respond. God does the heavy lifting in Christ. He provides the gift of salvation. He gives us His Holy Spirit. Man, He loves giving His children good things. In fact, that's scriptural. You know, the scripture says, if you are evil parents, you know, and yet you give your kids good things, how much more will your heavenly Father who is all good give you His very Holy Spirit? This God desires to give us great things, and we are required to respond and to receive that which He gives and to live into that which He has designed for us to live into. You know, we can make many promises in a new year. We can have many ideals and goals. We can have many objectives for what is to come. But how about this? That we grow in our relationship with the Lord, that we become the people more and more that He desires us to be by adding to our faith in Him, by responding to what He has made possible. And I love the Scripture because it's so practical. You know, uh, here's what He's saying. Here's what he's saying. Let me find, find the right page. I'm searching it here for it here. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I've got tons of notes on just glory and goodness and what that means. I would love to share all that with you, but I think I'll move on. Through this, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. We can preach on that. <laughs> You know, you know what makes Christianity Christianity? We're not simply called to obey rules. Please get this. Here's what Jesus is saying. God has given you so much that he's given you the ability to participate in the very life of God. Blows my mind. Mind blown. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, for this very reason, here, get this, in light of what God has done, make every effort. I want you to hear the weight of the words. Make every effort. Here's what, here's what Peter's getting at. He says, listen, become determined in pursuing these things. Commit yourself as an act of worship and response to God to make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and so on. Years where context might help us, especially if I try to preach honestly on the text. When I was doing the research on this, I found out that, uh, that there are many perspectives on this particular scripture, and some get really fascinated by the progression. Faith, and then goodness, and then it goes on and on. And they've written theologies on that. That if you don't have goodness, you won't have this. And you have to have this, and then you'll get this. I honestly think, in my study, that's not the point. In fact, when I, when I, when I, when I, when I research this, and I'm not going to say because Beth is here and she's like a professor of English, so I'm going to not pronounce it right, but it's like this technical literary device common in Jesus' day, spelled S-O-R-I-T-E-S. And it's a literary device in which you have things that accumulate and build upon each other. The point is not the succession, but the point is kind of just referencing the, the content of these things. And so some people kind of look at this list and says, you have to have one to have the other. But here's what I think is really important. Peter is writing to a, 
to an audience that would have understood that this is kind of a formulaic way of expressing what's important, but where he begins and where he ends is important. He begins with faith and he ends in love. And everything in between those six virtues in and of itself could mean nothing unless it begins with faith in Jesus Christ and ends in Christ-like love. Let me give it to you this way. Godliness that is from God, holiness that is from God, begins with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His ability to save and to empower by His Holy Spirit. But it always culminates in a life of love. If you want to know if someone has true faith, See the content of their life and ask yourself if what is there reflects the kind of love that the Bible defines as love. Because faith always leads us somewhere. When faith does not end in love, it looks like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal. When faith does not end in love, it comes across as judgment and exclusivity. When Christians define their faith and there is no love, it is a very dangerous thing. Let me go to the other side. When Christians just want to be about love, however we define that, we can make that to be a whole bunch of gushy, wishy-washy, nice-feeling things. But when it begins with Jesus as an act of faith, we truly live into the kind of love that has the power to not only change us, but to be a witness to God. For the love that is spoken of here is agapeia love. It is sacrificial love. It is self-giving love. It is love that turns the other cheek. It is love that seeks mercy and kindness. It is love that gives sacrificially. It is the kind of love that our world talks about but lacks. And it is the kind of love that is only, only available to those of us who begin with the one who taught us what true love is. And he is Jesus. If you and I were to have an objective for 2017, may it be to begin with faith that ends in love. And may it be that we learn we have to make an effort. Uh, the language, the original language of make effort is to really strive, it's to really dig in, to pursue with vigor. Can I say it that way? To go after it. You know, uh, there, there's many things we can go after. In my home, and, and, and I'm not referencing my family, I'm speaking generally, generally about them, because otherwise I'll get in trouble. But, you know, th there's different things that our, 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 our family members pursue. They, they love and they pursue. And you can see the intensity. Often you can see what matters to people by the intensity and the time and the effort they put in certain things, right? It's one of the ways I discern what my kids are passionate about. I, I, I just look at the time and the intensity they put in. And if we are to pursue adding to our faith, I wonder if perhaps there is somehow by the Holy Spirit some conviction that comes to us and says, 
Have I responded with that kind of vigor? Have I responded with that kind of determination to, to live into the faith that God has made possible through Jesus Christ? Now, let me say a few things about the list. Uh, he says, you know, add to your faith goodness. I'm just going to give you a little snippet. Goodness is doing what is right even when it's difficult. Knowledge. The wisdom and discernment we acquire over time, which we need to live a virtuous life today. Self-control. To resist indulging in the temptations and the lust that so easily corrupts us in this day. And let me say, we all need help in one way or another with self-control. Perseverance. To be courageous and steadfast. Enduring, enduring in the face of even suffering evil, to trust in God and to hold on to His promises. You see, this is what it means to add to our faith. To add to our faith means godliness, which is a, a, a deep desire to not only acknowledge the authority of God, but to obey His will and brotherly kindness. kindness. In, the, in the Greek, it says Philadelphia. It is, it is the affection for other believers and, and, and sisters in Christ. It is the ability to be in community because we have the capacity to love in the ways of God. Those are the kinds of things that by the world's estimate doesn't seem like power or great success. But according to Peter, when we continue to grow in these things, it will keep us from the sin that so easily entangles. And it would make us grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I say to you as the church, including myself today, let us add to our faith. Let us pursue the things of God. Verse 9, you know, is, is, is really hard. It says, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted. Whoever doesn't have these things, you know, it, they can only see here. And then it goes further. It says they can actually see nothing. They're blind. They forget that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Here, here, here's what forgetting means. Forgetting is not a mental issue here. You know, like, ooh, I forgot my keys. Ruthann, where is my keys? Which I do often. Or I, I just forgot to be Christian. Uh, that, that's, not, that's not what Peter says. He, 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 he's talking about it as a failure to take into account the true meaning and the significance of one's faith. And to respond in appropriate ways. What can our response be to a message like this? I think first and foremost, if you don't and if you have not already put your faith in this Lord Jesus Christ, that this is a clear opportunity to do so. You know, um, I'm not going to be presumptuous at all within a church. I would like to think that on any given Sunday, I'm preaching to a variety of different people at different places in their life. You may be here today, and you may not have placed your faith. That means put your life in God's hands and says, you know, I surrender to you, your will, not my will. This past Wednesday, I had the privilege, I share this not because, oh, look at Stu, but I had the privilege after three years of counseling somebody, three years of leading them to the Lord. Yeah, here's the emphasis, the emphasis, the emphasis. 
three years. Three years of, of prayer, three years of patience, three years of frustration, three years of, and you know what? It's not ending here, you know? It's, it's, but, but what a wonderful delight, what a wonderful joy when someone comes to know the saving love of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, I got so excited <laughs> when the person said to me, in his words, I think I've been trying to make God fit into my life so that my life can be whole. And I feel like God is saying to me, and he says, I've never really read the Bible, but in our conversations, he says, I feel like God is saying to me, I don't fit in well. You can't just piece me into your life. You know, if it's not all for me, it's not going to work. You know, at the heart of our faith is not, a, uh, it's not an instruction manual on to how to piece a good life together. It is a God who died for us and invites us to die to ourselves so that we may live in Him. And I believe we must use all the means at our disposal to cultivate the Spirit's power in our lives. I think we must study the Word of God together. I think we must pray more often. I think we need to make priorities that matter to our growth in faith priorities of our lives again. Priorities of worship and fellowship. You see, I think that for some of us, not by our own fault, we've been led to believe that our Christian faith is just a, a commitment of word, and then that's it. And so we lack this understanding that the God who saves us invites us into a relationship that changes and transforms us. People who stop growing don't think they've stopped growing. People who are immature don't think they're immature. And yet, Christianity is presented to us not only as a profession, but as a way of growing and maturing in Christ. Friends, we must take responsibility. We must respond to the grace that is given to us. For the work that God has begun in us, He is faithful to bring unto completion. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning that, um, just to be frank, Lord, really speaks to me and in a convicting way. Um, and so I... I'm not going to stand in your way and 
I've tried not to stand in your way to allow the word to be spoken as you have revealed it to me. I, I pray, though, Father, that um, your Holy Spirit would bring conviction where conviction needs to be brought, but also, Father, that your Holy Spirit would guide us into what our response ought to be to your proclaimed word today. As we continue to worship now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would abide and guide us in your name. Amen. <laughs>